All right, everyone. Welcome, 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 welcome. Um, this is another episode of The Full Set, and my name is Didi Delgado, and I'm your bodacious host. And I am here with my esteemed colleague, none other than Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis. Dr. Tama, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderfully blessed and grateful, so thank you for having me. Listen, when you said yes, I was like, look at me putting this manifestation out here. <laughs> so, That's it. Yep. Knocking the door will open. Mm -hmm. yes. I said, thank you so very much because, you know, I don't, I, I didn't, I, not that I, you know, not that I didn't want it to, I'm putting your cash app and your PayPal link at the top. Okay. Um, not that I didn't want to be, you know, in the negative, but I always try to operate as this is the thing that I want. I wanted you to come on the show. And then that was it, <laughs> like, you know, so I didn't, I didn't expect anything else. Um, someone is saying with love and sending love from Detroit. So they got you. Everybody's holding you up. Oh, in the light. <laughs> beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So I just want to say welcome. I'm so, I'm beyond blessed that you are here um, because we have some things to talk about today. Absolutely. Yes. And you look amazing. Are those cowrie shells yes. on your shirt? Yes, they are. And you look amazing as well, Queen. My ancestors. Yeah, Listen. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, if y'all knew the joy I was experiencing today. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, so I want to, um, if it's all right with you, I want to go into your bio because I know that a lot of people follow you, but some of my demographic may not. And so I'm going to just read the, the abridged version of your bio so yeah. folks can get a, a real sure feel of who we talking to here. Mm -hmm. So Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis is a licensed psychologist and ordained minister and sacred artist who has worked nationally and globally to provide relief and empowerment to marginalized persons. Dr. Tama, a professor at Pepperdine University, is a past president of the Society for the Psychology of Women. Her contributions to the psychological research, policy, and practice have been honored by national and regional psychological associations. You earned your doctorate from Duke University, completed your postdoctoral training at Harvard Medical Center, and is a past American Psych Psychological Association representative to the United Nations. If that ain't Black girl magic, I don't know what is. It gives me goosebumps just to say that. I'd lastly like to say that you've served as a mental health media consultant for numerous print, radio, and television media outlets, including but not limited to the full set. You need to add that there. The Huffington <laughs> Post, the NPR, CBS, Oxygen, CNN, BET, TV One, Lifetime, and WeTV. Dr. Tama, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Oh, you are most welcome. I'm glad to be here. Oh my goodness. So I feel like let's get right into it. Um, I know that it, an important part of your work is to encourage those you work with to tell their stories. So can you tell us, you know, a Black woman with all of these accolades, can you tell us some of your story and what brought you to the work that you currently do? Absolutely. So I grew up in Baltimore. So it's a hey. yes, to go from be more, why be less when you can be more, uh, to walking through the United Nations. Uh, and I will say that I carry the seed um, of my mother's hopes and dreams. Mm. Uh, my mother grew up in the projects of New York, one of 10 children, wow. and um, had a, a dream and a vision for global ministry, for global impact. And so uh, she raised my brother and I with that understanding and that commitment to not just uh, the local arena, um, but to Africa and the African diaspora. Um, so I grew up in Baltimore, uh, a pastor's daughter. And okay, come on PK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually my entryway into psychology um, because in our community, instead of going to therapy, most people talk to their pastor. Correct, and okay. So Growing up, people were always calling the parsonage, calling the pastor's house with their challenges, with their issues, with their struggles. And if my parents weren't home, that didn't stop people from talking. So right, uh, right. people are just uh, in need and needing relief. And it's interesting that even though my brother uh, is two years older than me, 
Um, I had such a heart for it that when people would call and were in distress, he would actually uh, hand me the, the phone. He'd be like, here, talk to your people. Yeah, yeah here, these are your people. <laughs> and I do believe that while uh, the training is important and the reading is important, I also believe that healers in a, are in a big sense born, mm -hmm. um, that it is a calling um, to be able to sit with people in the valley and not pressure them to make us feel better. So pretending to uh, feel better because we cannot tolerate it. Um, and so growing up, that was my early exposure to counseling was actually pastoral counseling as a result of my parents. I'm on pastoral then, care. Yes. <laughs> and then um, more specifically in psychology, uh, my focus area is trauma psychology. And okay. so um, exposure to trauma on multiple levels, uh, growing up in Baltimore, of course, community violence uh, in the extended communities, uh, the realities of domestic violence. And then uh, when my dad became a bishop in the African Methodist Church. A-M-E. Yeah, A-M-E, A-M-E. Uh, usually your first assignment is overseas. And okay. so he was appointed to West Africa. And wow. time, yeah, so we ended up moving there my sophomore year of high school, um, which was- What part of West Africa? Liberia. Okay, all right. Yeah. And so uh, what a lot was of Liberians in Rhode Island. Ah, okay. Excellent. There's a big Liberian community here in Rhode Island. Yes. I love mm -hmm. it. I love it. Yeah. We have a good number out here in Los Angeles as well. So okay. it's wonderful to keep that connection going. Um, before I left for Liberia, I spent my ninth grade year at the Baltimore School for the Arts. Um, and I was a dance major. So that was another gift for my parents is not only our culture and spirituality, but also the arts. And I will say uh, dance uh, is so healing and so therapeutic. Uh, drama and poetry and all of those things give me life. Um, and I grew up doing them uh, regularly. So then we moved to Liberia, West Africa. And that was such an important time as a teenager because getting a sense of who we are mm -hmm. beyond like a few blocks in Baltimore, right? Right, because, of, course. of course. I was growing up, that was even like pre-Obama. So when people would say, you can be anything you want to be, but you didn't really see that. Right. Um, it was powerful to go somewhere where everyone who was in a position of power looked like me. Like that is a totally different thing. So when we talk to our um, African and Caribbean sisters and brothers who come to the States, there is just a sensibility that you have when you have been, uh, had the opportunity to be in the majority. It's a different right. and And I'll say as a girl child as well, um, to be affirmed uh, for even my beauty growing up right. in Baltimore. You, you better know, talk oh, about it. I didn't know we was going to go there, but you better talk <laughs> about it. Say, come on. You know, growing up in Baltimore, you know, the closest you could get to European was the more beautiful you were. And then uh, wanting to dance, there was this idea of like how your body had to be that right. to make it acceptable as a dancer. What is a dancer's body? Right. Um, and so when I got to Liberia as a teenager and suddenly mm -hmm. people were like, whoo, What's your name? Right. And I'm like me, <laughs> me. Uh, so it was really uh, mentally, spiritually, culturally, mm. physically, uh, so affirming. And I actually found out later that when I applied to Duke University, my essay on living in Liberia is what got me in the door. Oh wow! You know? Okay. And so you never know how things are going to work together. But when they're looking for, you know, people who are going to bring a different vantage point or experience or perspective. Uh, so that was really powerful. And I have to say, you know, it was a high, but there was also a low. We were supposed to be there for four years, which turned into two because there was a civil war. Right. Of course. So as a result of the civil war, we were evacuated. And that's also where I got in touch with this idea of privilege, of my privilege. Right. It's one thing you know, to know about white privilege, um, but to recognize like the only reason I was able to get on that plane is because I'm a U.S. citizen. Like there isn't anything more deserving of my life compared to those who right. were not uh, given that opportunity. 
um, or that safety. Are you um, saying that there was no like respite for actual Liberians, but because you were right. USA born, you yes. were, you were lifted, you were airlifted. That's right. That's right. So literally I came home from school one day and we moved there with like a million suitcases and boxes because of the right. family of four. And I literally came home one day and they said, you know, all Americans have to be at the airport by this time if you want to be uh, evacuated. Wow. If not, we're not coming. We're not coming back for you, basically. And so we left with one suitcase each, and happened to say goodbye to friends and people right. I cared about. Because you had been there for and two years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, during that two years, I became Miss High School Liberia. So it was. It Look at a, you. I told you when you got on the phone, you were shining. And it was because uh, transitionally you were shining. Come on. <laughs> yeah. So it was uh, incredible, but it also, again, gave me that heart for trauma recovery, right? Okay. How do we heal? Um, especially when resources are limited, how do we heal? Right. Um, okay. So that's a part of my background of how I ended up in this field. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like whatever kind of um, psychological counseling you do, I'd love to be there. I don't even need to be the patient. These That story was just, I felt like I was there, you know? Yes. So thank you for sharing like a vulnerability with me yes. because I think that that's important too. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you something about dancing. So you said that you um, were trained to dance or that you enjoy dancing? trained yeah and the reason why I ask is because then you made that very salient point about having a dancer's body right and so did you feel like that there were um pressures to keep up a certain image oh ab absolutely uh this idea and let me tell you how the response to your body can be right. drastically different depending on where you are right okay. mm -hmm. so when I went to Liberia and let me just say Liberian food, African food is delicious, right? It, it absolutely <laughs> so, is. Uh, so while I was there, I got thicker and people who were like, <laughs> Dr. Taylor said thicker. <laughs> I got thick. I got more thick. Okay. I got the thickness was added. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but what was funny was the Liberians would say to me, oh, Tama, when you came here, you were so dry, but now you fat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, you know, it was like an affirmation. Right. Like, well, you know, because also when you're in a place where not everyone has to have enough, right, uh, of nourishment, food, right, uh, right, right, right. Is, is a status as well, right? right? right. And right. I've had other sisters who have said in the US they felt invisible. Mm. And then they go into other countries and people are like, now you are a woman, right? Now that's a a woman. Let me but go home happened, real quick. <laughs> yeah, come on. Look, they are they are there ready to sing your tribute. Uh, but when I got back to the States, so we were evacuated and I came back to the Baltimore School for the Arts in time for my senior year of high school. Oh, you went to Baltimore and School the, for the Arts. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And literally, can I tell you, my ballet teacher said to me um, that because of the weight I had gained over there, he could not even look at me at the bar. That it wow. he just would not even look that I needed to do something about that. And so- That's So fat phobic, because you could dance, right? Yes, yeah. You didn't lose your ability not, to dance. Not, not at all. And then while I was there, actually in Liberia, I began uh, being a dance teacher. I went to take class and then they were like, uh, clearly, <laughs> clearly you're the teacher. So I'm like, oh, okay. So then I had like- a Did you learn class. dances from that, from yeah. there culturally? I was gonna ask you, I was like, come on, each one to each one. Yeah, okay. So the Kennedy Cultural Center um, is where um, I learned African dance. And okay. one of the beautiful moments that happened there is we were sitting around after class one day and someone, they were asking people their tribe and everybody was answering what their tribe was. And when they got to me, I said, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And they started like laughing because they couldn't understand my answer. And they were like, black girl like you, how you ain't got no tribe? Mm. So then one of them spoke up and said, you know, told them to hush and said, you know, she's black American. She don't know her tribe. And so this like moment that was going to be very sad became a competition because they all kept, uh, they all started. They wanted to vibe for your, they were like, no, you belong here. Look at her nose. <laughs> You're with us. They're like, 
like you're Mandinka. You see her cheekbone? She Mandinka. No, no, no. She Vasa. She Vasa. So it was like this beautiful mm -hmm. homecoming, yes. right? All of it. And I, I, for me, that story is important to tell because some people who have gone uh, to Africa from the States will say, well, they don't see us as the same or they're not accepted. And it's all the spirit you come in. If you come with humility and an open heart, then uh, it is a really embracing experience. Is it right. identical? No, because we don't know, right? Quote unquote, which one. Um, but there is a real embrace and a love that I, that I received um, that I was really grateful for. Thank you so much for that. I'm like, I have tears in my eyes. I hate talking to y'all. <laughs> like, that is so beautiful. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could give us, because you're such an amazing storyteller. Can you give us, no, listen, I, this is your show. Who am I? Can you, can you give us some tips on how we can tell our own stories? I feel like a lot of, of us are blocked for like various reasons. Um, like, I feel like we maybe don't deserve to tell our story for reasons of what you shared. Like, oh, you know, the, the society sees you as this way, as dark skin, as, 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 you know, fat or not, you know, small enough for this, this presentation or, um, you know, it's like hard to paint ourselves on our own canvas with our yeah. own brushes and hues. So what are some ways we can free ourselves to be able to truly tell our story? Absolutely. It's a, such a great and important question. And the first one I would say is really about uh, shattering shame, because what mm. keeps me silent and censoring my story is my shame and recognizing that transparency is actually contagious. Right. Many times we don't tell our story because we think we're the only one. And then when we dare to actually speak the truth about what we have felt, what we have experienced, what we have lived then you discover that even in your own circle, you are not the only one. And so each time we speak it, uh, it becomes easier and easier. It's actually a cultural tradition. Um, when we talk about historically the black church, they used to have what was called a testimony service. Oh, you, some of them right? still do. Some still do, right? Yep. So it's like, this beautiful thing where actually there's a scripture that says, you know, one of the ways we overcome is by the telling of our story, right? Mm -hmm. That is so, so powerful. Um, and so it, you, you know, used to be, and in some places still is, that people start off with first giving honor to God, who is the head of my life. And right. then they lay out this powerful story of like what they have overcome. And the reason for it is to be able to encourage other people who may be going through it. Right. So what happen now, I think because of so much judgment and condemnation, now people wrap their story in metaphor. So they'll just say, I've been through a storm. Right. I've been in the valley. I've been in I was going to say valley. <laughs> <laughs> in the valley. You know, I've been up, I've been facing a giant. Okay. Like I love metaphor. I'm a poet, but there is something more liberating about plain speak. Right. You know, if we can start to name what that is of like right. uh, miscarriage or sexual assault or uh, intimate partner violence or abandonment or homelessness. Or, you know, I was telling a client recently um, who was dealing with applying for graduate school and not getting in. I said to her, nobody ever asked me, what are the schools you didn't get into? Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. They never asked. So people assume that the success story is your only story. But, you know, there were doors that were closed. They were right. definitely closed, right? You better come with that reframe. Okay. <laughs> it's like until we can start to tell those, then people think they're the only one. And it, and it traps us in silence. So it's very liberating to, to start speaking it. Um, and it also is to make peace with, it's a process. And you at all times have ownership of your story, unless people have taken your story. Okay. You have ownership of your story and you can decide, do I feel comfortable in this moment? Do I feel like this person is trustworthy? When right. you're building friendships, I tell people, give them a piece of your story. See, can they handle that, right? Not everybody can be- Will you build friendships? <laughs> yes. I'm like, you're gonna pour the whole thing out. Like, you, we wanna know who we're talking to. Right. Uh, but getting uh, the release and, and at the foundation of being able to tell my story is self-compassion, right? If I'm, if I'm judging myself, if I haven't made peace with 
why did I do that? How did I end up in that circumstance? Once I have clarity about that, then I can release the shame and the judgment and and speak it. And also when I realize um, my worst moments are not the fullness of my identity, right? That's a part of my story, but it's not the fullness of my story. Right. So I, I can speak it. Yeah. Um, yesterday you said closed eyes don't erase wounds. Our lives matter. Yeah. Our pain matters. Our healing matters and justice matters. Yes. I know a lot of your work is trauma informed. Mm-hmm. Um, during this time in which, um, not only are we going through a global pandemic. Yeah that is affecting black and brown people at disproportionate rates. Right. Um, We're still going through the little problem of uh, racism, police brutality, living in a white capitalist patriarchal society, as Bell Hooks says, right? And how do we, I feel like a lot, I feel like this is a repeat, Dr. Tama. Like this is a repeat and, and you know, um, people who might have years on me might say it's a repeat of 1992 with Ronnie King. Um, it might be a repeat of 1971, uh, Charles Stewart. It might be a repeat of 1968, uh, Dr. King, right? And so like we keep going through these cycles in which um, revolution and rebellion looks really different for different people. It's like, how do we all tell our stories without um, being angry at those we feel like we're leaving behind or um, not, okay, I'm just gonna say it, not being open Mm -hmm. to the fact that um, the reason why people may not come along with us is because it's very possible that they're at a spot that we were at maybe four years ago, maybe five years ago, two years ago, 10 years ago, you know? Um, How do we have compassion uh, managing multiple people's stories. Yeah. Oh, is that a question or is that a question? You better come on. You better come on. Do you do this? Are you an interviewer? Come on. Don't gas me. Don't gas me. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah beautifully said and powerfully said. Um, so a part of it is not needing, getting to a place where I don't need my perpetrators or the benefit, those who benefit from my violation Mm. to agree with me. I do not need them to agree. I am not, I am not waiting for them to tell me my story is true, right? So when I get to that place, I become the center of my experience. Right become the center collectively of our experience um so what that means is i'm sorry this is my phone keeps ringing I no it's okay all right we just gonna um, ignore it you're gonna keep going that's right I, i'm i'm moving i'm moving uh so what that means is in psychology there's something called a narrative approach so in narrative learn uh, therapy you learn to become the main character in your story. When I am not the main character, then white supremacy is my main character and all I am is a reaction to that. Excuse me, you know how the Baptists do when they gotta go? Yeah, 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 one finger up. (laughs) One finger, one finger. Say, hold my mule, yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, who have I, I reclaimed my power. I reclaim my power over the story that these things are all real and they also do not get to author my story. So people and uh, and, uh, systems can write on the pages of my life and they might write some things I do not like, but I also have the pen. So it is engaging with my agency, my power to tell my story. Then you said, how do we navigate the fact that people are living different stories? When I emotionally and spiritually mature, I am not so thrown off by people who are walking a different path. I do not need everyone to agree with me, to amen me, to be my clone. So the way I am able to operate with grace is also recognizing 
much of what we see is a trauma response. So uh, some people respond to trauma with despair and depression. Some people respond with rage and with anger. Uh, some people respond with numbness, right? So they're blank, nothing in the eyes. And some people respond to trauma with denial. So then when I hear people in their denial, I don't take it personally. I see them as traumatized, right? And they are trying to have control over a circumstance that is out of their control. So if I can believe it is not real, if I can believe it is not that bad, then I don't have to do anything and that doesn't feel so bad to them, yes? So, you know, that was a part of the work that I also had to do um, as a sexual assault survivor is that there are many people who engage in victim blaming um, and especially as a survivor, that can be very hard to hear. Right. But when I recognize like underneath all of that, is the desire to believe that we live in a just world. And if I believe we live in a just world, good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. So if something bad happened to you, you must have caused it. Right. So you must have, you know, it's because you weren't following the police officer's directions, that's why they had to choke you. Right. It's because you wore miniskirt, that's why you had to be raped. And then these so, are the stories, speaking yes. about compounded trauma, it can't just be your trauma because then these are the stories that we tell each other and we, yeah. we promulgate to one another. Like, oh, you know, someone said in a, in a Facebook Live earlier today, well, you know, Mr. George was using counterfeit money. And I'm like, what does that have to do with his life? And, come on. Plenty, plenty of white people at Enron was out here spending other people money. You yes. understand what I'm saying? And yes. they all alive and well to tell the that's right that's right and that's when you realize it it is not even about what people are claiming it's about because when you see the hypocrisy as you said and as we see you know people are outraged about looting and not paying attention to the legalized looting of impoverished communities systematically but you know that, that, I mean, that you came to preach today i don't know if you were <laughs> preacher kid or not like okay <laughs> Yes. So, you know, we, we speak the truth and then also uh, it's unfortunate, but in some ways when we become less surprised, right? When you hear people spinning the narratives, um, when you get to a place like you say, of course, right? It's like when they released um, the autopsy report and claimed, well, he had underlying health conditions, so we can't know if it was because the foot was on his throat, right? Well, so I then feel we'll like he was walking down the street just fine. I mean, right. Suddenly, he would have just, you know, fallen over and died because of his pre, you know, pre-existing right. conditions. So when we start to see that and know it, um, instead of being in a place of um, feeling hopeless or powerless, we can use that knowledge for strategy, right? So I know that people are going to do these types of things. So these are the things we can do to get ahead of it, to organize around it. Uh, to recognize it, to be able to call it out before they even do it. I'm glad you said that because it segues into the next question. And I just want to give a shout out to one of my besties, Alyssa Schechner, little white Jewish lady from Needham, Massachusetts, just wanted to like, she was like, I want to help you curate the show. And I was like, I don't have time. So shout out to her for giving me all my notes. I appreciate it. Um, you once said on the Dr. Phil show that even in some of the most hellish situations, that oftentimes the human spirit will try to create points of light. So can mm -hmm. you speak on that with regards to these recent events? Like how can our community create points of light when every day something is taking the breath and life from us? Yes, so it is an important component of there's something called positive psychology, where we say not only focusing on like pathology or illness, but on joy. Mm -hmm. on community, on love, like how do we do that? And that is a life skill that is especially necessary when you are a part of a marginalized and oppressed group is learning to look for and to create and cultivate and protect uh, your joy, knowing that these things are a part of our resistance, that rest is a part of resistance, love, loving ourselves and loving other people in a, in a society where you're hated that's right. Better, 
right? Right, right, uh, right. Meditation is a radical act of resistance to be a black person in America sitting still. You better come on and be a one person revolution because since we have been here, our labor has been our worth. Our busyness has been our worth. And so we are constantly taught to grind, to lean in, to hustle, to have multiple jobs, because from a capitalistic perspective, that is our worth and value. But not recognizing some of us have stayed busy, not because we were well, but because we felt unworthy. That some of us operate from that place of perfectionism where we are never enough. And we hope if we can just list one more thing that somehow we would not only be acceptable to other people, but acceptable to ourselves. So instead we take what I like to call sacred pause when I recognize it is holy for me to say no to some things. It is holy for me to step back. It is a sacred act protecting my mental health, my physical health, my spiritual health for me not to live on the treadmill, but for me to step away and restore myself. So looking for what are the things that you can do and that we can do collectively that bring joy so we are not waiting for people to give it to us. The other piece I do need to say about it is you can have multiple emotions at one time. And when we don't recognize that, well, then we would say, well, how can I have joy when there's injustice? You know, how can I have joy when there are children in cages on the border? When, you know, uh, black men and black women and our uh, trans sisters and brothers are being stomped out, how, how do I, well, the reality is those uh, uh, injustices still give us sorrow and give right. us anger. And there is a way and a place for us to also be able to express and experience our joy. You know, I had a client the other day who was talking about, she received some really good news and then she heard about all that was happening and felt guilty to be able to celebrate her own good news. And so we really out of honoring our own humanity uh, need to do that, to, to be able uh, to, to celebrate how we care for each other, right. uh, our music, we're talking about club quarantine, right? So finding music in the midst of a pandemic, it's a right. beautiful thing, it's a beautiful right. thing. So we especially cannot afford to wait for all to be just before we have joy and love in our lives. Because for Black folks, we'd be waiting forever then if we was waiting for shit to be just. Come on, come on, right? If I can't smile until there is freedom and equity everywhere, then it will not be in my lifetime. Mm. So it also being able to feed my joy and have community and connection, that gives me something to run on. Uh, because if not, all of us have encountered activists or ministers or caretakers who are burnt out and bitter. It doesn't work. Like the, the justice work is long-term. So it is not sustainable for only my anger to fuel me. I have to have something else in me that gives me life and hope so that I can do, it's, it's a marathon. This is a marathon. <laughs> You said you were a poet and yes. I think about, you know, um, a lot of the pushback I get um, when I say the same things because I'm not published, you know, and so someone of your, um, of your accomplishments, darling, right? And so, you know, how do you, how do you walk in that narrative of your own truth and say, no, this is what I do? Because just hearing mm -hmm. you, like, I'm like, okay, I'll pick you up, tenants. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You know, let me tell you what was so freeing for me. It was actually some wisdom from my mother because what happened for me um, is people who encounter me in a particular lane because they enjoy that aspect of me, they think that's all I'm supposed to do, right? right. So people would encounter me in like spoken word and I used to do like slam competitions and all this stuff. They would say like, why are you like, wasting your life in the academy when like you could be doing this full time but then when people encounter me in psychology they're like why would you waste your time in poetry coffee houses when like this is your thing right okay. and my mom said something that clarified it for me she said tama single gifted people will mm -hmm. often misunderstand multi-gifted people to them you look scattered 
and they want you to choose, but you choose all of it. You choose all of it. And I said, thank you. I'm going to be all of it because that's, that is who I am. I do not have to choose. I just want to thank your mom because your mom just ministered to me as well. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. You know, we Ooh. get pushed into these lanes, you know, for it to make sense to other people, you know, because when people read the bio and they're like dancer, poet, singer, you know, psychologist, professor. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, um, I'm so glad you said that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to put Genesis Barco says I needed this. And, and I feel like this, this is the only reason why I have these conversations. It was supposed to be one time a week, but there's just so many black folks to hear from. I, I can't, I got to do the labor. I have to. Um, and it's a healing journey for me because I learned so much from y'all every day. So I think about a situation in which, um, a lot of my peers are all activists. I hate it, but a lot of a lot of my peers are all activists. Even my friends who are not activists, we've somehow siphoned their skill set and brought them into the activism world and was like, let's be an ally here. Like, you know, like my friend tonight who helped me with the questions, right? I'm like, do something constructive for me. Like, you know, um, so I think about that and I think about how some of my friends say, when I get to, so this is a time right now where I could be too activism me, but I think it's important for me to tell you this. And yeah. I say, when I say it, because I told you before, I feel like this is a repeat. We're on repeat, we're on repeat. Yeah. Um, so this is the time that I would pick up the phone and be like, who needs an amplification on their protest? Who needs this? Who needs that? What I've been doing is asking myself, what do I need? Mm. Um, and that I think is revolutionary in itself. Yeah. And I bring this yeah. up because some of my friends don't like activism, Didi. Some of my friends that I met through poetry and through the slams and mm -hmm. and and through the spitting hot bars off the top of my head. Or you wrote that poem in twenty five minutes? Absolutely, because I was that annoyed. Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I think about um, you know the tale of two Didis. Like you know, here I am, this organizer that I have like a lot of organizational stuff behind my belt but then I have the artistic side how do you how do you mitigate because I feel like people want me to either choose or strike a balance but somehow because the world is in balance mm -hmm. how do I me myself or anyone who's watching say yeah. you know what this is what I can do right now and this is how I can show up mm -hmm. it really is what you started with turning the gaze inward to tune in to me because the world will pull on us to do multiple things. And that was one of the things that was uh, freeing for me. A good friend of mine, Rachel Potts, we had a women's retreat mm -hmm. and she said, just because you can do something doesn't mean it's your assignment. And I was like, wait, what? Because mm -hmm. I was raised with this idea of anything you can do, if you're asked to do it, you should do it. Like you right. say yes to everything. And when you're a multi-gifted person, you will be drained and empty and you'll have people pulling on you from a million directions and you can end up losing yourself. And so uh, what happens is there are times when we have lost track of a part of ourselves and we have to go back and get her and reclaim her, yes. right? And because there is limited time in the day, sometimes it's looking for those moments when I can integrate the different aspects of me, right? So at Pepperdine, I proposed to teach an elective on expressive arts therapy. Okay. And it was so great because since- They it was like, the psychologist is here too, the okay. Artist, the artist is here, the psychologist is here, the teacher is here. And when I opened those doors, the people who came in, it was like all the healing artists. Cause mm -hmm. it was, a, you know, it wasn't a required course. So I'm like, here they are, right? People who are studying mental health who are visual artists and who are singers and who are musicians. And it was like, oh, like this is the best place ever. Right. So <laughs> look at those places, right? Where the different parts of you can show up. Mm. Um, it, it's really, really beautiful. I appreciate you saying that. Um, that. That just gives me so much clarity around like where I'm landing. Um, and the reason why I asked you that was a precursor because um, there was a protest in Boston last night. And even though I live in upstate New York, 
the community that cares for me, um, I have a few friends here, but the community that cares for me is where I was born and raised. So um, a, a friend of mine inboxes me and it's like, it's like 7.30. She's like, I'm worried about you. I haven't seen you post anything to Facebook. I saw you drove to Boston yesterday. I was like, girl, I was not involved in no protests. I went to get some dick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there I am. Mind your no business. No worries. I'm good. I'm good, sis. But, you know, I was polite. But then I, I noticed that because people see me as activist Didi, they don't see me as the person who needs the muse sometimes. I have sticky paper all on my walls because now... You know, I'm in a little bit of a romantic crush. I've been been writing and and and, and drawing on the walls. It's been amazing. So wow. I just appreciate you saying that it's okay for us to not live in, um, even if we're experiencing it and feeling it. We can mm-hmm. also honor our joy and our happiness yeah. when it happens. We don't have to feel guilty about it. Yes, and to go with that. Uh we can then show up refreshed. We can mm. show up with our cups full. Um, there was a place I was working on the East Coast before I moved here. And even though it was a counseling center, it was very toxic. And I know people overuse that word, but it was very toxic. And Thank one you for day- saying people overuse that word. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, they do. They do. They're like, everything's toxic. Everything. I'm like, no, 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 not everything. You would uh, think people just stepping on toxic waste all day. <laughs> that's the way people talk about it. <laughs> it's like, it's humanity, right? Right. Is messy. So uh, one day I'm walking into the counseling center and the assistant director, she stopped me and she said, you always seem so happy. And I get the feeling it has nothing to do with this place. And I told her, you're right. If I was dependent on this place for my joy, I would be miserable. Right. So I do things before I show up. So I have something to give. And so before you go to your next march, your next rally, you know, you got some love in your life. And then you can show up from that place of fullness, not just showing up in bitterness. Yes. Yeah. I've been in such a good place. When I when you when you joined the club, I was like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> uh, and I'm yeah. just gonna revel in that. So yeah. it's a good it's place a for me. Of how do I have a glow in a pandemic? How do I, you know, how do I not let them shade my shine? Right. Mm. I'm gonna be shining regardless. I said bodacious, juicy, succulent. I'm gonna be <laughs> all of that in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> um, there's a, a song I've been listening to. I know it's old, I don't care. Um, and it's I listen to a lot of Afrobeats and yeah. um I forget who the artist is, but the song is called Classy. And he was like, I'm a glow if I don't shine, you know. And I've been thinking about I've been meditating on that. Like I just walk around and I'm like, you know, so <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, I don't know if this is a sensitive topic and I don't want to pivot too much because this is my second to last question for you. Um, from your research to poetry slams to your academic journals, because you'd be out here writing, the APA representative to the United Nations, you better go on with your bad self. You better, you better work. What, what was that like to expressive arts therapy? Much of your work actually centers around trauma and healing. So is there an action that we can take to start to reconcile with our past trauma? On yesterday's show, I realized that um, a part of security for me was my mom always picking out the overall set. And as an adult, I don't even own a pair of overalls, even though it's my favorite clothing item. And so I am making it my business to go to Etsy and find me a little overall short set because I will be rocking it this summer because I'm deepening into, turning back into myself and saying, what things brought me joy what joy was taken away from me as a youth right and what things can I bring back because I still sit with the memories of the things that was taken from me but how do I sit with the joy as well and so I want to ask you what's one tangible step that someone can take today that would help them towards the road of healing it's me I'm the person that needs the help yes so (laughs) one thing I would like us all to do before we go to bed tonight is to get up and dance Okay. That is the one thing because okay. there is something called embodied healing. There are aspects that trauma affects that are beyond our mind. So in talk therapy, I'm addressing how I think and how I feel, but there is trauma stored in our bodies. So there's uh, the book, The Body Remembers or The Body Keeps mm-hmm. the Score. Mm-hmm. And especially 
Black people, many times we weren't able to name or acknowledge our mental health issues. So instead of saying I'm depressed, we have migraines. Right. We'll say I'm anxious, I'm nauseous. We have body ache and back ache and asthma. We have all of these manifestations, high blood pressure, because it's in the body. And so the way to heal what I have been holding, especially secrets, who we have been holding secrets for generations and that stuff, all of this is muscles tight here, head, forehead always crinkled, jump, grinding our teeth at night. All of that is the trauma stored in and so put on whatever is your go-to song and whether it's slow dance or whether it's fast dance to begin to move and release and reclaim your body and breathe, that's healing. Thank you. So, I mean, are you taking new clients? What the hell? Like I have a psychologist, but she white. I mean, I love you, Tracy, but she white. Like, you know, she don't talk like you. What is happening? There's such a, there's such a, a disconnect. And, and I don't think it's on the fault of black women, right? It's not on the fault of black non-men. It's not on the fault of anyone who is a POC, but there's, there's really a shortage of like, um, understanding black therapists and psychologists and any kind of mental health clinician really yes it really is and and i'm one of those people that unfortunately uh right now i'm full um i'm thinking <laughs> about putting together uh some workshops <clears throat> online so that more people so i can share it with more people but okay. in terms of one-on-one sessions i'm sure let us know so we can push it out i mean you know i got my little tiny 15 but they 15 strong they they're there all right excellent excellent yeah so i would tell people looking at therapy for black girls um is is an online directory melanin mental health is an online inclusive therapist is an online directory um so that you know you can do the search for people who uh, get you, who can affirm you. And if you are with a white therapist, you know, asking questions as you start about, you know, what are your thoughts about how racism affects mental health? And they should be able to answer that. And if they can't answer that, that's important information. You're like, I'll put this in my change purse, please. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Dr. Tama, um, I've had such a wonderful time for you. My last question is this. It's a two-pronged question because I'm a complicated, beautiful person, really. I can't wait to go. I can't wait to let you go, actually, so I can go dance with my boo. So listen, um, so I just want to ask you, knowing, and this is all in all seriousness, because this is your platform. This will be played on Apple. This will be paid on Spotify, all major trending um, podcast series. But I want to know two parts. Is there anything that we left off, meaning something I as an interviewer did not ask you, or you were actually surprised? Like, you know what? I wanted to talk about this project that I was working on and didn't get a chance to because of the way the conversation flowed. And two, who would you like to see on the show? Oh, great questions. So um, I want to plug my homecoming podcast. It is facilitating the journey back home to yourself. Come on. I can't wait to subscribe. (laughs) And it's on iTunes and YouTube and SoundCloud and Spotify. And it has been such a gift um, of being able to journey with people who are reclaiming themselves. And even though it's the World Wide Web and I did the United Nations, I still hadn't, I did not foresee how global the podcast would be. Mm. So it's such a gift to get emails from people all over the world who are also doing this journey back home. <sighs> and uh, in terms of someone I would recommend, well, first I want to say who we're going to list as for the cash app, the donation. Okay. Yes. It's um, the pinned comment. So those who are joining in and those who will be uh, viewing later, please view the pinned comment. It's the cash app is... Um, cash app sign VVWI. And there's also a PayPal for Virtuous Woman Inc. at yahoo.com. Excellent. So for Virtuous Woman Inc., uh, they are just now opening in Los Angeles and will be the only group home for girls, only for girls who are exiting sex trafficking, which some people also call commercial sexual exploitation. Okay. Um, Teen girls and Um, I'm going to be assisting them with the mental health component, but when especially we deal with trafficking, it's a wraparound intervention 
of needing to address housing and mental health and education and spirit and all of these things. And so if you would like to be a blessing to that new home, uh, that would be wonderful. We're going to um, give 150 right now as soon as I get off the phone with you. So oh, the done the done for DD team is going to go ahead and make a deposit and also want to um, make sure that you're connected with folks in LA. I mean, I know you got your own connections, but um, I'm going to connect you with Patrice Colors and Janiya Khan just so that they wait that way they can know about your project. You can go ahead and explain yeah. it to them and hopefully we can get some rallying around that because you can't we are not a multi issue struggle people as Audrey Lord said we have multiple struggles. And so this is important work and I'm glad you shared it with us. Oh, thank you so much. And that uh, gave me great uh, pause to receive the deposit of who I wanna recommend that you speak with. Uh, and that is Crystal Jackson. And the reason I want you to speak with her is she's a philanthropist. And okay. there are very few black women <laughs> on a high level who are tapped into resources and know about how to connect resources with the community. Many of us are visionaries, many of us are artists and our nonprofits are under-resourced and understaffed and we are not uh, compensated for our work and for our right, efforts. Right. And so Crystal ha is really masterful uh, in understanding finance and knowing there, there are wealthy people with a good heart but who are disconnected from us and right. so don't know where to make a seed that will have real impact. And so she has been a wonderful bridge for that. And I think uh, that uh, financial empowerment, that economic empowerment is a part that we often leave off and it will be a beautiful conversation. I appreciate that. And I would like for you to put me in contact with her whenever you get some leisure time for yourself that you're like, okay, I can set aside an hour for work. Um, just think of me, slide yeah, me in there. I will connect you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dr. Tama, thank you so very much for appearing on this episode of The Full Set. You have been just such, I wouldn't even say a ray. I, I would just say you've been such an ethereal plane that has landed in my lap. And I appreciate you for like, ah, you know, I appreciate your appearance. I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Um, T. Cherie just joined and I had tagged her because she was a guest yesterday and was also talking about how much she loved narrative therapy. So I really encourage people who are MSWs, who are licensed social workers to go ahead and get this blessing that you've given us today. Dr. Oh, Tama. Thank you so much. Blessings on you for all that you pour out for other people. May it return to you sevenfold. Thank you. And to yep. you, I hope that you have a great evening and I appreciate you for being on the full set. Oh, thank you. Enjoy your bow and uh, dance, dance for us. <laughs> yes, I will. I hope y'all have a good night now. Bye-bye. <laughs>